Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Just, um, just a couple of things. Uh, um, one is, one is a word of encouragement, really. That um, was interesting this week. That uh, you know, Chris, Chris was ill last week. Had to have some treatment, and uh, she talked about getting a breakthrough at the beginning of the week. I went the other way. I had some stuff happen early in the week that that was uh, was the other way for me. So I, I was wrestling that through, but. Uh, because you know the the, the non-biblical phrase that that um, would fit well in Proverbs is you know uh, when it, it never rains but it pours. Remember that ancient proverb. Uh, so I uh, I picked Riley up. Um, um, well, let, let me let me go back. Let me go back a step. Um, when we were coming back from Bellingham. our Scotts Bluff Bellingham trip, Bellingham. our Bellingham trip. Um, on, on the plane into uh, New York, I, being of the age I am now, I, um, I've been wearing an earring aid since uh, March. My, my ear's been rubbish all my life, so I don't know why all of a sudden I decided now to, uh, to do it, but I did anyway. Um, but uh, I'd taken it off on the plane. I have a routine, you know, flying a lot, I have a routine, and um, somehow something had put me off my routine, and so... The earring aid went missing. Well, of course, you know, we, we told the staff at the gate because you're not allowed back on the plane. And the guy came back out and said, I've looked everywhere and can't find it. Well, you know, I, I know from um, ground staff going on a plane, looked everywhere doesn't mean the same as it does to most of us, looked everywhere. You know, basically, I can't see it. So, um, of course, we had, we had to come back and I had to then report to our dear old National Health Service that... Um, I was no longer with uh, with uh, the assigned piece of equipment, so I had to pay me 80 quid to, uh, which is still quite cheap when you think the thousands that people passed. Glad it was not one of those two grand ones. Um, so I paid me 80 pounds and got the new. The new one wasn't right, so I had to go back. Oh, it's a bit long story. It's not an old man story. Okay, um, I had to go back because the. They, they make an ear mold for you, and the ear mold was wrong. It was loose. I was getting all this feedback, this squealing. So I went back and, and said, look, I need a new ear mold. So they, they, they started getting me one ready and said, well, we'll post it out to you so you don't have to come in. Anyway, they posted it out to me. I got it this week. But what was interesting is that there were two ear molds in the, in the package, which is like it's very unusual because you only have one earring aid. So... Uh, you know, I'm the made of hard plastic, so why the heck would you want two? So I thought, well, fair dinkums. I'll fit the best one to the, to the earring aid and put the other one away. Who knows? So, um, I, uh, I picked Riley up from his, uh, his carer yesterday after school. And when I was in the house, because the new earring aid's not working as good as the other one, um, the frequency, I couldn't hear what people were saying, so I took it out, put it in my pocket. Um, and of course, when I get home, it's not in my pocket. So um, Chris went scooting back to have a look, because it's pitch black, you know, it's from four o'clock now. It's, uh, uh, 
couldn't find it. We knew we knew it could only be either at home in the car or at Jeanette Riley's care, either where I parked the car or in the house. Now Chris couldn't find it. So, um, you know, I wasn't that well pleased. Um, but uh, Chris said, look, when I take Riley into school this morning, I'm going back to Jeanette's. I'm going to have another look in the daylight. So uh, she went back to Jeanette's and had another look in the drive, because you've got all the leaves as well now, which doesn't help, and they live out in Huntington Village and look, big trees. And Anyway, cut long story short, uh, Chris found it, um, which she was rather pleased of, but it had evidently been run over, probably by me. Uh, <laughs> probably by me, and the, I was in the Volvo as well, so you pick, pick the heaviest car. Um, but it obviously come out when I was putting Riley in the car. And, uh, um, and so, anyway, what was interesting was after the, the weather and everything, the actual hearing aid itself was, was fine, but the earpiece was smashed. But when I got the earpieces on Monday of this week, they sent me two for some reason. Sent me two identical ones. So, of course, all I had to do was fit the new one, and I was all set to go. Put a new battery in. But, but um, my point on that is, is there's a verse in the Bible that says, God will go before you. And uh, I'm probably the only person in York who went for an ear mold who would get two. Because like I say, if you've only got one hearing aid, and, and you can't wear two hearing aids in the same ear, because bear in mind, you can't put them in the opposite ear. Doesn't work, because it's the wrong way around. But they sent me to, why did they send me to? Because God says, I will go before you. And the thing that I needed, I'd already been sent in advance. Now, like I said, that's not very world changing, you know, nice though it is. But, but, but yeah, it changed my world. But what these little things do is just encourage us that actually there's lots of unseen things that that are enacted on our behalf in the arena where God has the authority to help us in our lives. He does go before us and he is preparing ahead of us. And uh, very often I chide in myself because we're not looking far enough ahead to think when I got two earpieces that, uh, that only one was useful, that God was providing for me what I would need for an event that I hadn't yet caught up with. Because remember, he moves at the speed of spirit before they call, I will answer and had already provided for me what I would need for an event that had not yet occurred, that within the context of God time, spirit, he could see it, but I couldn't. But the provision was there. And uh, so I just wanted to encourage you with that, because, uh, you know, that, that was my coin in the fish's mouth story. That was just about paying taxes. You know, couldn't Jesus have provided the money another way? Yes, he could, but he wanted to teach Peter something, because that coin had to be in the mouth of the fish before Peter caught it, not after he caught it. So somebody sometime had to drop a coin off a boat and the fish swallow it for Peter to catch the fish and find the coin that dropped in the water. So I just wanted to encourage you with that because um, uh, in the little things, God is just encouraging us that in the big things, he is still just as much at work. And we need that to foresight of faith to believe that, that God is for us and uh, he goes before us and he prepares our way. So I want us to grasp that really, because in some of the bigger issues we face, we, we so readily look at the circumstance and then sometimes probably get in the way of our miracle. Because I could have thrown away 
the second ear thing saying, well, this is no good to me. I might as well chuck it. They've sent two, but I'm not going to need it. Uh, and we can throw away what God is already providing. So I just wanted to encourage you with that so that as a people of faith on a personal level and as a house in the context of where God is leading us, that we just be encouraged that uh, these little things keep happening on purpose for God to let us know, hey, stay with it, keep going, press on, press through. So I wanted to bless you with that. Uh, The other thing is I'm still struggling um, health-wise, so the voice might last out tonight. If it doesn't, we'll go until it doesn't work. And then we'll quit there. So Father, just uh, ask you right now that um, you synchronize my heart and my head uh, so that the desire that's there to communicate um, what you desire tonight will, will come as clarity in the mind and that we'll, be, have, be, we'll all have a spirit of understanding tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right, so this is the last one of our current stab at, at this stuff. Uh, Chris talked to you last week about men of renown, the giants of the Bible, the, what the Bible calls the Nephilim. And um, again, some of these things you might think, well, why is that important? Because in the bigger picture, it, it is important, first of all, that we have the courage to address these questions because, as I've said to you already on this series, that uh, people who weren't raised in church and who are not in church now are very happy to ask you these questions Um, and uh, we need to be equipped to address these issues with people because if they're convinced that the Bible is just a book of fairy stories, then you're in the firing line to be able to help them to see it's not a book of fairy stories, Um, and you can understand it if you put it in its proper context, but without us being uh, um, kind of blinkered evangelical Christians who won't accept some of the challenges and realities that we have to face. Now, as I've already said to you as well, none of this has undermined my uh, faith in God or my faith in the Bible one bit. In fact, if anything, it has has, uh, uh, multiplied. Um, Because um, in the understanding, when you know the truth, the truth makes you free. So even when we know the truth about what we've talked about, Bible translation and influence and all that stuff, it makes us free. It makes us free to realize that actually sometimes we get hung up on the wrong aspects of the story rather than what's coming through the story, which is what we talked about, the golden thread. So um, tonight I want to talk to you about a little phrase that I call until the seed comes. So that's what we're going to talk about, but, but what I'm going to put up here is not the seed. Um, what I want to put up here is... Let's, let's write this. Because in the beginning was the word, okay? So let's spring everything from that. If we, if we can understand what that means, and I, I hope we've given some clarity on it, about the word in the beginning, um, then that helps us to get the trajectory through the scripture, okay? And of course, our best understanding of the word is the word made flesh in Jesus and uh, Uh, Jesus did not try to support, um, embellish, um, or encourage um, 
a misrepresented view of, of Old Testament scripture or their images of God. He came to give us a new image of God because he was the word made flesh. So we already had that conversation earlier in the, in the series about uh, was, is the God of Jesus the God of the Old Testament? We, you know, they're all online. You can go back and, and listen to them. So just by way of a very little summary, I thought Chris did fantastic last week talking about the... Um, you know, the giants, the men of renown, uh, Nephilim, um, um, Nimrod, and all those things. Again, well worth listening back to. Um, I, I don't want to cover that ground because tonight I, I want to talk about this business of the seed, which is very important. Um, just by means of, of background, there, there are one of the things that <coughs> Chris mentioned last week, and I've touched on it briefly. <coughs> Is, is the fact we have to accept that um, some of the stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament, have been potentially subject to what, let's call it, borrowing. Um, because in other cultural stories, which you've already said, some more ancient than the Bible dates that we locate our stories in, there are very similar stories with very similar personalities and figures. Um, so in the ancient world, which none of us can go back and really look at, we have to make assumptions and assessments. And um, uh, I, think, I think we should have concluded by now that there was some borrowing going on. There was some embellishment of stories. There was some, uh, there was some um, uh, mixing of understandings of the gods and God and all that Eloist and Yahwist and all that stuff Chris, Chris talked about. Um, and of course, within that, we get something that is common across all uh, ancient writings, which is this business of, the Bible calls them men of renown, um, giants, people with special powers. And um, uh, Chris talked as well about the fact of, you know, the sons of God uh, mating with the with the the Daughters of Eve, and I, I'm going to read that again in a, in a minute, but what I wanted to deal with first was, was this whole business of two words, legend and myth. And um, sometimes our fear, because we think legend and myth means that it never happened and it's not true. When actually legend and myth does not mean a thing didn't happen and it's not true, what it means is that what may have been true and what probably did happen has gone through a process where it has been expressed and revealed in a particular way. So let me, let me give you a little bit of a definition for a legend. A legend is a semi-true story which has been passed on from person to person and has important meaning or symbolism for the culture in which it originates. A legend usually includes an element of truth or is based on historic facts, but with mythical qualities. That means that's when we start seeing things a certain way and of course by the time the story's progressed you've, uh, you've got all kinds of mythical creatures and figures and things going on. Uh, legends usually involve heroic characters or fantastic places and often encompass the spiritual beliefs of the culture in which they originate. 
So that, that's kind of how legends start. Legends are things like George and the Dragon. Now, was there a St. George? Yes, there was a St. George. Did he kill something? Yes. Was it a dragon? I don't know. But by the time the story got out, it had become a fire-breathing dragon that St. George had to kill in order to free. Do you understand how this happened? So, so we get a lot of truth, but then it gets in the hands of people, which doesn't make it untrue. It just becomes our way of telling that story. Okay? Um, but because our way of telling the story is what it is, it often within the story contains things that are not entirely true. Now, um, so is there a modern parallel? Yeah. Um, I've been in a lot of evangelistic healing meetings where the legend of those meetings has often far exceeded what really happened when you were present in the meeting and saw what happened. Some of the extraordinary tales. Now, does that mean that there are not extraordinary tales of phenomenal healings in evangelical faith healing, divine healing missions? No, it doesn't. But it means that the same thing happens. So um, we, there is a phrase that kind of floats around, particularly around pastors and leaders, which is we joke with each other about evangelistically speaking. Um, you know, there must have been 500 people there and 300 people made first-time decisions for Christ, evangelistically speaking, uh, which usually means there were about 250 there and 20 people made a decision. Now, now you say, are people trying to lie? No, in the excitement and, and in, the, in the fervor of the moment, uh, things start to grow, things become something, and, and out of passion they get shared a certain way. Well, of course, when you hear that story, you pass it on. Before you know what's happened, the story's become even bigger. The, the, you know, the, the, the miracles have become more outstanding and more crazy. So it still does happen, um, and I'm not frightened of it. Um, you know, because we... A lot of our memory is formed not of how we actually remember a thing, but how in context we wanted to remember that thing, okay? So myth, what's a myth? A myth is a traditional story, especially one concerning the early history of a people or explaining a natural or social phenomenon and typically involving supernatural beings or events. An exaggerated or idealized conception of a person or thing. I, I like that thing of exaggerated or idealized. Um, you know, how in, in a myth, a thing becomes what we need it to become, okay? Um, now, one, one of the arguments I would hold that, in general, the Bible is not mythical is because the Bible is very open in its talking about the failures of its heroes, um, and their absolute need for, for, for God to help them. So the heroes of the Bible are not built up to being superhuman. In fact, it goes absolutely the other way. The heroes of the Bible are reduced to being very human, which, which, which is anti-mythical, right? That's one of the reasons why I, I, where we've raised questions about who wrote it and why they wrote it, what was the agenda, why at the, at the core of it, I actually, I believe in the sacredness of this book. I believe in the authenticity of it because it focuses on the things that you wouldn't focus on if you were trying to, trying to write a myth or a legend. Uh, so it's tales believed as true, usually sacred, 
set in the distant past or other worlds or parts of the world and with extra human, inhuman or heroic characters. Now, I'm saying this because we have to ask the question, uh, in the Bible's writings of the giants and men of renown and these, these people of special powers, is this myth? Is, is this legend? Is this, is this something that has crept into the text um, that is an over-exaggeration of what was a root reality? That's just a question I'm asking there. Uh, so a myth is, based, is a story based on tradition or legend which has a deep symbolic meaning. So actually, in essence, the meaning, therefore, is more important than the event. Okay? And I think many times in Scripture, when you read it, you have to understand the meaning is more important than the event. The meaning of Genesis chapter 1 is much more important than the events of Genesis chapter 1. So what if you say, I believe God created the earth in six days? So what? So what? What's world changing? What's life changing about that? But if you understand the meaning of those six days of creation bringing us to a place of where it is finished, then the meaning is actually more important than the detail. Do you understand that? So my, my approach to Scripture is to find the meaning beyond the detail. It's not arguing the detail that matters, but we should argue the meaning to find the meaning of what this really is saying to us. So, a myth conveys a truth to those who tell it and hear it, rather than necessarily recording a true event. So it's conveying a truth. Its desire is to convey a truth to its hearers and from those who speak it. Although some myths can be accounts of actual events, they have become transformed by symbolic meaning or shifted in time or place. What that means is that sometimes a myth that happened at a certain time gets shifted as it's shared to another time. So when you try to locate that even historically, you can't find the evidence you're looking for because the myth shifted it. Okay? Now, one, one of the disturbing things to some um, Bible believers is that archaeologically it's very difficult to locate the children of Israel's captivity in Egypt to the time when it appears that it was and in the way that it was. Um, I wonder if that sometimes because what is the reality and the meaning has shifted in time and shifted in place somewhat that it makes it hard to verify. Now, the point is, even with things like Jericho, remember the walls of Jericho fell down. Is it, is it important to find the walls of Jericho or to understand what the story of the walls of Jericho was about? Okay. So, yeah, if you find the walls of Jericho as well, that's fine. That's no problem. But what I'm saying to you is that the Bible was never meant historically to say this happened here at that time and this is what you will find. It happened because it was speaking something down the ages to us, right? The detail and even, you know, thank God for people who've penned it down, but as we've already shown, the detail can sometimes get shifted in time and shifted in place as the stories move along, but it does not diminish the importance of the story, okay? Uh, so, a myth conveys a truth to those who tell it and hear it rather than necessarily recording a true event. Although some myths, now it can be a true event, but some myths can be accounts of actual events. Uh, 
they have become transformed by symbolic meaning or shifted in time or place. Myths are often used to explain universal and local beginnings and involve supernatural beings, like the Inuits, um, not the Inuits, I've forgot the name now, but the, 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 the North American native tribe in Vancouver, around the Vancouver area, they have a whole thing where the earth began in a clamshell. And God first made people in the clamshell, and unless the clamshell was opened, then there could never be people. But the God came down in a form and touched, I think it was as a, some kind of bird, and pecked the clamshell and opened it, and so, and so that's how humanity came upon the earth. Well, that's a womb story, okay? It's a womb story. But it was a clamshell and a bird in the ocean. Now, we might say, well, that's really silly. Well, some people look at what we said. Some people look at the virgin births. That's completely absurd. Um, because these are accounts that, that try to explain universal and local beginnings and involve the supernatural. So, so in all cultures, we get these happening. Now, again, I, I believe the Bible's... Um, record, but these are things I'm throwing in to help you understand how it was shaped and how it's written. The great power of the meaning of these stories to the culture in which they developed is a major reason why they survive as long as they do, sometimes for thousands of years. So, so the meaning of the story within the culture is often what carries it through to survive. So so when we're looking at the context of Bible, the meaning of the story survived for thousands of years because in the context of the culture, it, 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 had, it had a contribution to make to their journey of thought. Now whether that journey of thought led them to the right place is another matter. So the question then is, in the use of legend and myth, mixed in with truth, what's, what's the reason? Well, I believe the reason mostly has been to exert influence and gain prestige and recognition. So we, we've dared to suggest that um, in the early formation of what became the nation of Israel, that the desire to exert influence as this little small group of people within the wider context of the world at that time uh, and to gain prestige and recognition was driving how many of the stories bent over, okay? So the Lord told us, show them no mercy. Kill everyone, man, women, boys and girls, and the animals. Show them no mercy. Or on another day, oh, the Lord told us, kill all the people, but keep their cattle and their money. And we have to accept these kinds of instructions do not sound like the God of Jesus, who says, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. Given it will be given unto you, not take. And with the measure you give, you will receive. So, so why? The question is, what? Is, the, is there truth in the story? Yes. Why does it bend certain ways? I believe because of their desire to exert influence and gain prestige and recognition. Okay. And again, that still happens today. Um, well, I'll leave that alone. I could shut up. Uh, so, Genesis six four, where Chris started, and I'm going to talk about the seed from here. Genesis six four: the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. 
I love the little comment that if the Nephilim were around, and uh, I agree with Chris's purpose for the flood. I think if there is a purpose for the flood, and the flood was there to destroy wickedness, it wasn't about destroying people. It was about, it was about eliminating this crossbred race of what I believe were angelic beings who produced a super race by, by in bodily form having intercourse with, with women, the daughters of Eve. Yeah, there's lots of questions you can ask about that. But we do know, it says these were the men of renown. They were giants. They were people who were at the root of what we would now see as legend, but they were on the earth in those days before the flood and afterwards. So I love the comment that, that they snuck aboard the, the ark disguised as giraffes. The, the giants, I thought, that, that was just a classic. And it was all because the sons of God went into the daughters of men and had children by them, and they were heroes of old, men of renown. Those kind of terms we've heard, heroes of old, men of renown, we've heard in all kinds of legends and ancient stories, and yet you've got it right here in the Bible, and that, that was the root of this, but you know, Chris, Chris talked about some of that, there's probably more to say. When we get to Numbers 13, so Numbers, we're now after the flood, we are now with the children of Israel who have been in their history all the way up to Egypt, spent captivity in Egypt and now left Egypt. And Numbers 13, 33 says, we, this, is when they, this is when they're spying out the land of Canaan uh, for them to take as a possession physically. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. So by the time we've gone post the captivity of Israel in Egypt and their exodus from Egypt, we're still encountering um, these giant figures. Now, whether they had supernatural powers now is another question. But the point is they're... Yeah, big, they grew big grapes. The point is that the seed was still producing. So even if it had become diluted, it seems evident that the seed is still producing. Okay? Now this is where we start to get into some of our thought. Because um, what happened in that flood that I believe, as Chris said, was designed to destroy the Nephilim, the giants, of course, inevitably, uh, also people who were not crossbred, angels and, and humans, you know, other beings and humans, and aliens is the wrong word because it's not about aliens. Um, of course, they got drowned as well, but then if you wonder about the fascination in Scripture that questions whether the core essence of these stories was just myth or legend, just one look at this verse, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 19 gives you some indicator of whether it was just myth and legend or whether there may have been some myth and legend in that, but actually this was a very true event because here's what Peter wrote. Uh, Through whom also... So he's talking about Jesus being offered as a sacrifice for humanity and for sin. And he goes on to say, verse 19, through whom also he, that's Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. 
in it only a few people, 80 in all, were saved through water. So this is fascinating because I don't see any other way that you can read this verse other than when Jesus died and was in the process between that and his resurrection, that he went to where these innocents were in the days of Noah and preached the gospel to them, giving them an opportunity by faith to receive something that they had not received, which poses two massive things. Number one, that would mean that they had another opportunity after their death to hear the gospel and receive. Now, there's a fascinating one. And this is a verse you are not going to find anybody in the evangelical world, not only prepared to preach this, but prepared to talk about this, because it's pretty clear. It can't mean anything else other than that. He went and preached to them. What did he preach? The gospel. Because in that disobedience, they didn't go in the ark, but they had not an understanding of what was happening, but grace touched their lives. The other point is that it also would suggest that what happened in the days of Noah... Um, whether you consider it a whole world flood or whatever, is a reality and not a myth, okay? So somewhere within all those writings of ancient times, even here the reference back suggests, yes, this, an event did happen, and in that event things were happening where people needed to be offered another opportunity um, in order to respond to the grace that was offered to them. Now, that, that's how far grace reaches. So, you know, that's just put that in your pipe and smoke it as, as we would have said at some time. So, um, principle of the seed. I've just given you some background because I want you to see that by Numbers 33, the seed of the Nephilim is still producing, right? Seed, of course, is descendant. That, another word for seed in the Bible is descendants. But of course, it uses the root word seed because it wants you to know that it comes from a particular source. Everything originates back to a particular source. So, a couple of things about this. Um, uh, it becomes evident that God has been building a family tree throughout the ages that you and I become a branch of by faith. So what we've got coming from here is a family tree. It's going to come all the way down here, but off it, we've got little branches like this, just like you would have a family tree. Okay? We're going to put some names on there in, in a moment just to illustrate that. So let, let's, let's go right back to beginnings and then just track it through for, for a little while. Genesis 3 verse 15. Um, after what commonly is known as, as the fall, uh, again, of which we have questions about whether that's the correct word to define it, but after Adam and Eve uh, chose to define their own righteousness by rejecting God's righteousness and eating from the tree because they thought that that would make them something that they didn't think that they were. It, um, God comes in the garden and he talks. He talks to Adam, he talks to Eve, and he talks to the serpent. Here's what he says to the, to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity, struggle, difficulty, issues between you and the woman. <clears throat> and he clarifies that so that you don't think it's just 
you know, that serpent and that woman. He says, and between your seed and her seed. Between your seed and her seed. Therefore, we understand about the seed of, 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 of humanity. Right? We understand there's a seed. But there's also a seed over here. Let, let's call it just just for want of a better word, satanic. Now, don't be thinking, eee. Because the Satan is an adversary, okay? So, so we've already said, it, it may or may not, I, I think it is a person, Chris, Chris has some differing thoughts on that. What it is, we do know, is adversarial, right? It is an adversary. Anything that is an adversary, something that comes against you is a Satan. Which is why when Jesus had his little jaunt in the desert... Uh, and was tempted by the devil, the question would be, was that a literal physical devil, or was that an adversary, and was that adversary the challenge about his own identity? Because all three of those, those temptations that were recorded were challenges against the identity of Jesus. Uh, I would propose to you that, that, that the most common way that satanic influence happens is this it's against your identity that's why Paul spends a lot of time saying who you are in Christ why does why does he keep going on about that in him by him through him who you are because he knows that if you don't have this right you're not going to be able to flow in who you are right as us let's let's call it this you're not going to flow as a child of God Okay? And this is the objective. Children of God. Okay? This is opposed to being children of God. This takes us away from everything that defines us as children of God. This makes us things like, there's some words here, orphan. Right? What's an orphan? An orphan is somebody who either has lost his parents, been removed from his parents, or doesn't know who his parents are. And so many people live with an orphan spirit. Because you don't know who you are to God and who God is to you. And our world is struggling with an orphan spirit. Now, the problem with an orphan spirit is that you will run to anything that will give you a sense of protection, identity, particularly identity. Because remember, we get our identity from our family. Identity is not something that, you know, you go down a government office and uh, say, I've got a baby. Who names the child? You or the government? Why do you name the child? Because it's your child. And the child bears your name. It bears your chosen name, which is the, which is the, it's the endearment term. The equivalent of when God says to Jesus, you're my son, I love you. That's like the, it's the endearment term. And then, of course, what you get is you get a name. So, so Joel is Joel Chapman. Not because he, somebody randomly looked through a book and said, let's call him Chapman. But he's Joel Chapman because he's not an orphan. He has an identity that, that belongs to family. I have an identity that belongs to family. And that's how seed works. You have an identity that originates all the way back here. 
So our identity should be found in the word that was in the beginning with God, that was God, that nothing was made without him that has ever been made, that was made flesh and lived among us, who is full of grace and truth, should be our identity. That we live a life full of grace and truth, which is why David, who is one of these, let's just write him on here, on the family tree, he's, David's actually on this middle bit because he actually is part of the part of the real family. He's not part of the uncle's aunt's thing. He's part of the real family. Um, David said in Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he's understood that grace and truth are here. With all his mistakes, all his failings, all his challenges, he said goodness and mercy will follow me. Why? Because he's got his identity in the word who was made flesh full of grace and truth. So this is one of the things that happens from the satanic flow and all this is coming. I, I believe all this was flowing through this, this Nephilim thing, okay? An orphan spirit is one of the main things that, that, um, that we have to deal with. So when this comes, it disconnects us. It, it, it isolates us. And so instead of finding our identity in the right source, we look for our identity in the wrong source. That's where even Eve started, looking for her identity. If I know the difference between good and evil, I'm going to feel a whole lot better about myself. But she didn't because her identity was never meant to be found in her knowledge of good and evil and right and wrong and doing good and performing. Her identity was meant to be found in the one who created her, who was Father. Okay, so that makes sense. So, um, so uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's that's specific in the garden, serpent, serpent, woman. Okay, so the, I'll put enmity between you, but your seed and her seed. So therefore, there is a line that flows, a seed. A seed gives a genetic family tree that flows from either side of this argument, okay? So... Uh, here's what it says. Now, we, we're told how to recognize the culmination of this process, of the, of the enmity, the war between the two seeds. And this is how he describes it. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, what happens down here, let's put the cross down here. If you understand anything about the cross, and the victory that was earned at the cross... It says that he spoiled principalities and powers. So we get all kinds of terminologies that go on this side of the thing. Principalities, powers, spirits, okay? All these kind of things all fit over here. I'll write, just let me write that down. Principalities. Principalities, powers. Get another one, dominions. Dominions. Rulers. These are all terms that you will come across, particularly in the New Testament, that describe the, the expression here. Now, what happens at the cross is that he completely 
brings into submission all principalities, all powers, all dominions, all rulers, because he is dealing with this issue of the seed. Now, I've got more to say about that in a moment. What I do want to say about it is this. Right back here, where the word was given, is fulfilled down here at the cross. Because the whole idea that you shall, he shall bruise your head but you shall bruise his heel. That's what happens when you severely crush a serpent's head. So the descriptive process to help those people understand what was going to happen is basically that when, and I'll use this term that I used at the beginning, when the, I've lost my place, when the seed comes, who was the culmination of this process, the seed of which we are part, when he comes, it was saying that he will crush the serpent's head, but he'll crush it so heavily that it will bruise his heel. Okay? That's the picture they were giving. He will crush the serpent's head. Now, of course, the understanding was then that, that if the head is crushed, the whole dominion is ended. So we have to therefore believe or we don't have to, but we have the opportunity to believe, and I think if we have any brains, we have to believe that, 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 that something was broken here at the cross. Now, remember what we said about time and space. It works as powerfully back here as it does here, and the thing is, everybody on this family tree here, people like Abraham, who are not a direct in the direct line of descendant of Jesus, okay, uh, people like Abraham, uh, people like Isaac, people like David, we've already got there, um, uh, people like Isaiah, all these kind of people who've made a contribution and who we see whose lives, we could go on adding them over here. A lot of them, these biblical characters who are in that process are all, are all the result of that crushing, Okay. So it reached back to them. So when you look at the writings of these people, oh, we've got a major one there that we've got to just put in. The one who had the revelation of the I am, we'll put him over here. Moses. So when Moses had a revelation of the I am, which we talked about last time, the God of now, the present God, not Jehovah, but I am, he was getting a revelation that was part of this process that, that, that is an indicator that what happened here goes backwards and forwards, okay? Because it's flowing from here, right in the beginning with the word. So at the cross, what happened was that, that, that the serpent's head was bruised, or, or the heel of, the heel of, of Christ in, in, in type was bruised. So his wounds on the cross, okay, is bruising, Wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The bruising he suffered was part of the blow, right? So when it says his heel, it just meant the devil's under my feet. Every principality and power is subject to him. That was the terminology back then that de determined that an, an adversary was totally under the authority of his conqueror. You put your feet on the head of your enemies, on the back of your enemies. And in ancient Rome, you still see that enemies were brought into ancient Rome. They would bow before the Caesar and he would put his, his foot on their head to indicate that all their authority had now been broken because of what he has done. So in the wounds of Christ is the bruised heel 
that actually crushed the serpent's head. Now, that poses a lot of questions as to why bad things still happen. But that's partly to do with our choice of the seed that we're of. And we'll talk about that just a minute. So, so there's an immovable principle with regards to the seed. Now, let me bring another Genesis principle. Genesis 1.11, then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. Now, the, the brief principle here is that, is that seed produces according to its kind. That's one of the reasons why I am not a cross-species evolutionary believer. I believe in evolution within the species. I believe that species adapt in the most remarkable way and, and expansively and extensively. But I do not believe in cross-species evolution because that breaks a basic principle of, of biology, which is that things produce according to their kind. Cancer cells don't suddenly start producing cells that give life. They only produce cancer cells. As you regenerate your body, a healthy body produces healthy cells. A dog produces a dog. Now, you might crossbreed the dog, but a dog with a dog is going to bring you a dog. So, so according to its kind, so when it talks about the seed of the woman, and it talks also about the seed and the seed of the giants, it produces according to its kind. So, uh, there are two seed lines clearly delineated in Scripture as we know it. Um, one is the line of the serpent, there he is, and the other one is the... the um, the, the, the seed of the word, okay? Two different, two different seed lines, the, the serpent and the word. Now, it's interesting that, that um, in the Greek, the word seed is the word sperma for obvious reasons, that, that the sperma is the seed that has the life in it. Um, what's also interesting is that on, on, on several occasions in the New Testament, Luke 8, 11 is a good one, uh, the parable of the sower and the seed. And uh, Luke says, the seed is the word of God. Therefore, the sperma is the word of God. So wherever the word of God impregnates, you will get the seed of the word. What is the seed of the word? The seed of the word is God made flesh in a human world, God turning up in our life situation and being full of grace and truth. So when the word seeds you, that's what you get. If the word is not seeding you, then the suggestion is that the serpent will seed you. How will the serpent seed you? Adversarially. So self-righteousness and judgments and, and accusations and, uh, and um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Um, the um, categorizing, categorizing. 
All of this is the seed of this. So, so we may not have physical giants of renown as they had them in the legend, but we have the same problem going on today. Big people with big mouths who say big things about lots of stuff and destroy lots of lives because they have a power that they exert over humanity. How many times have you heard in a situation where, for example, a wife is being beaten and abused, I wanted to leave him, but I didn't feel that I could. I, couldn't make the, I could not get away. Why couldn't you get away? Because that seed is still at work. Now, we use different words for that seed. Now, one of the words the Bible uses is sin, okay? which again is open to several definition, but here's the best one, okay, and you'll understand why then in the New Testament we have this word, flesh, okay, it's drawing a distinction between that and something over here which is spirit, okay, now that's a conversation in its own right, but living according to the flesh doesn't just mean, you know, um, you know, drinking, fighting, and sleeping around. That's actually the least problem with the flesh. Greatest problem with the flesh is its self-righteousness, its orphan spirit, how that affects other people, the identity struggles that makes us do stuff to ourselves and to others that make us manifest exactly what was happening in the garden. We live under a curse, right? Instead of living under, we're going to put down here, blessing and favor. That's where we live. So it's interesting then that one of the things that's said about the cross is, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But Christ was made a curse for us. So that the curse of the law, now you say, well, isn't that just about Moses' law? No. Over here, all this stuff creates a situation where law thrives. Because with law, you have accusation and condemnation. Where there is no law, you have no accusation, you have no condemnation, because there is no law, so you can't accuse and condemn. So all that works here, but where it leaves us with the curse. So there is a seed that came through that process of Eve going through to this Nephilim thing, this is my belief, part of that, that manifests now as what we know sin, flesh, and curse. We, call, we could put death in there as well. That would be another one to put in there, death. I'm not talking about physical death. Life. All these are things that have a different manifestation that whose root is in the seed. So the question is, what, what and who is seeding you? And why I also have no issue or problem with what we know as the Bible or the Scriptures when we put it into its proper context, because through it all, there is what we call in one context the golden thread, but in another context, we call it the seed, the seed continues, and branching off from the seed, there are those who draw their life from the seed, may not have been the ones in direct line, because David was in the direct line of Christ. But they draw the same life, and they're drawing it from the seed 
of the Word, not the seed of the Bible, right? Not the seed of the Bible. I'm going to put a cross through there. No. It's not in the beginning was the Bible and the Bible was with God. The Bible helps us, but the Word is something pre-Bible and post-Bible. Before the Bible was ever written, the Word was in the beginning. There was no Bible when the Word was the Word in the beginning with God. And the truth is, now that we are post-Bible, the same Word that was in the beginning is still speaks still creates, still releases life, still produces spirit and blessing and favor over all who will live in the power of that word. And the power of that word is based very much in this. Child of God, we're no longer an orphan. We're now adopted into the family of God. No longer an orphan spirit. Adopted in the family of God. We belong and we're owned by him as father. So, uh, that two lines, okay. Now, uh, John eight thirty seven. Jesus has this conversation with with the religious crowd, and they try to pull it and say, "Well, you know, Moses is our he's our kind of vocal father, and Abraham is our physical father, and uh, God is our father." And this is Jesus' reply: "Reply, I know that you're Abraham's descendants." descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. My word, right? Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Uh, uh, Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So over here, actually, there is no truth. You will only ever live in a lie. No truth. No truth. Remember what, right at the very beginning... The serpent says, God knows that when you eat of the fruit of the tree, your eyes will be opened. Well, yeah, their eyes were opened, but not to what they thought they were going to be open to. What it was open to was shame and fear and loss. Why? Because it's a lie. So when we live on this side, we live a lie, we speak a lie, we deliver a lie, because over here, remember, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the truth. Could argue that truth is a person. I am the truth. So, of your father the devil. He's telling these people, way down here, we're down here now, you're of your father the devil. In other words, you were not seeded by the word, you were seeded by the serpent, you were seeded by the adversary to truth. So, we said two seed lines. Uh, first Adam, last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, in Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. 
So it is written, verse 45 of 1 Corinthians 15, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I'm not going to break that down a lot, except to tell you that this is another way it was described. That Adam, first Adam, and Christ were called two Adams. First Adam and last Adam. This first Adam finished up here, but the last Adam brings us back here. Why is he the last Adam? Because he's showing you that everything that was lost here can be fully restored over here. Okay? We can be restored. More blessings than Adam ever lost become ours. Now, I'd like to talk more about that, but time doesn't permit it. So, Jesus and Paul, again, have these two, two, two C's. Jesus and Paul call them flesh and spirit. Uh, here's here's, here's um, John 3 verse 6, just as one example. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Two seeds. One is a spirit seed, the other is a flesh seed. Now, now don't mistake this for the Greek idea of carnal and spiritual, Okay. This is talking about a very different thing. It's talking about flesh is the natural identity of humanity. Spirit is the, the God identity of humanity. Okay? Natural identity, human, spirit, God identity. <coughs> so, <coughs> what's born of that, see again, you've got the seed. If you're born of that, that's what you produce. If you're born of spirit, you produce spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. Then I got a bunch of scriptures because the truth keeps popping up throughout scripture. I'm not going to read all of them for time, but um, God said to David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. His seed also I will make to endure forever. This, this issue of the seed coming through David. Um, Isaiah 53 and verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, that's Jesus. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So, without fully explaining that, when you make his soul an offering for sin, let's call that here, we've talked about that, we're being very broad in our descriptions here. Uh, he shall see his seed. In other words, that he shall see the seed that comes from what he did there on the cross. And he'll see it that way, and he'll see it that way, okay? Because he sees it in this guy here, David, he sees it here, he sees it in Moses. He sees it both ways, okay? But he shall see his seed. So I'm, what I'm trying to get through to you is that, is that this, this concept of the seed, right, is, is throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end, and that there are, like we said about the twos in the Bible, there are two seeds, okay? And these are the two that we're trying to identify. Okay, so, um, let me give you one other little thought here. 
It's interesting revelation pops up right in the core of what the children of Israel would declare as their core identity. Remember, the children of Israel were always saying, uh, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let, let me read you three things from the New King James Version. See if you spot what's happening. Genesis 22, verse 17. To Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. About Isaac, Genesis 26 and verse 2 through 5. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me. Now to Jacob, Genesis 32 verse 12. But you have said I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. So what's the difference that you notice in those three accounts? To Abraham he said your descendants will be as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the seashore. To Isaac he says... And remember, Isaac is the child of promise. Isaac is the one coming from the barren womb of Sarah who couldn't have children. When God promised Abraham, you'll have a family, and spoke beyond his natural ability. He did not have the ability or the resources to produce Isaac, but God blessed him with Isaac, right? A gift of grace. Isaac, he says, your descendants will be as the stars of the heaven, but then to Jacob, who was one of the sons of Isaac, he says, your descendants will be as the sand of the seashore. Now, can you see what's happening there? In Abraham, there is a natural and a spiritual seed. There's a seed that represents the flesh. There's a seed that represents the spirit. Isaac, stars of the heaven. Jacob, sand of the seashore. It's not the same promise because Isaac wasn't told by God that his descendants would be like the sand of the seashore. You can search your Bible, you'll never find it. It's only one of the promises. The stars of the heavens. Why the stars? Because the stars represent spirit, right? Why the sand? Over here, because the sand represents earthly and flesh. So the argument is that though the natural descendants of Abraham may have been the Jewish nation that come from Jacob who had his name changed to Israel and therefore we have the nation of Israel, that Israel were never in the flesh the seed that represented God. The seed that represented God was Isaac because God said, in Isaac shall your seed be called. In Romans 9 verse 6, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. That sounds a bit complicated. But he's saying, you could be born an Israelite but not be an Israelite in the way that God sees an Israelite, okay? Nor are they all children, 
because they are the natural seed of Abraham. I'm putting a word in there. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, sand of the seashore, are not the children of God. So you're not the children of God here. Now, again, when we talk about grace and God in you and all that, that's another discussion. But what happens here, spirit, blessing, favor, life, is not occurring here. It's not occurring in the natural. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. Okay? So we've got something else over here, another word we're going to put on here. Right? Children, children of the promise. What is the promise? I'll bless you. I'll be with you. I'll bring you up. I'll bring you out. I'll make your name great. Right? And in you and your seed, was the word to Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How was the blessing coming to the people of the world from Abraham through his seed, okay? So, Galatians chapter three, I'm in the New King James still, almost done. Galatians chapter three and verse six. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, how do we get righteousness? We believe God is who he says he is, and we are who God says we are. How do you think you get righteousness over here? By the works of the law. What I did and didn't do. What I said and didn't say. What I sacrificed and didn't sacrifice. We think righteousness over here comes by the law. The law of Moses sits on this side, which it can never bring like No one is ever justified in the sight of God by the works of the law, because its seed comes all the way from here, even though God gave it another conversation. But over here, it is the children of the promise. If we are living by the word of the seed, which is Christ, then we are children of the promise. So everything that God ever said to David, to Abraham, to Moses, To any of these people who were blessed of God, any of those things apply to me today for this reason, that I am of the seed, okay? How many of you know that if you are someone's child, whatever they have passes to you? The name passes to you, and whatever they have, whatever they own, whatever they possess, passes to you. So whoever was part of the seed, it passes to us, which is why it says that we still live under the blessings of Abraham. Because what the seed had passes down through the generation. Okay? So, let's finish this off. Abraham believed God was counted him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham, which means you cannot be a son of Abraham by being born in Israel of a Jewess. That does not make you a son of Abraham. You can only be a son of Abraham if you are sons by faith. Faith in what? 
Faith in what God has already done, not what we have to do. Faith in the word that has become flesh in us that says, you're my son, I love you, I'm pleased with you. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jews, by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham. Beforehand saying, so this word was preached to Abraham, which related to this, it's going two ways, which said in you all the nations will be blessed. There is a blessing in this seed. So if I am of that seed, there is a blessing in me. There is a second ear mold for the earring aid in me. Because there's a blessing in me. There is a blessing that cannot be bound by all this stuff here, adversary, unless, unless I submit myself into that process and then become seeded by this. Instead of seeded by this. My hope is that having torn apart, broken down and reassembled our thinking of the Bible, that we realize that there is life in the Word of God. And that word comes through all the nonsense, all the myth, all the legend, all the agendas to touch our lives the same way that it did that comes all the way through Abraham. So verse 16 of Galatians 3. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one unto your seed who is Christ. In other words, it's not a scatter bomb that suddenly the seed can become corrupted by its interaction with others. Because remember what happened here, the seed became corrupted by interaction. So he said, okay, it's not seeds that come out of here, but when he talks about Abraham's seed, he's talking about one person, not a nation, one person. He said that person is Christ. He is, he is the seed of Abraham. Okay? Christ is the seed. In other words, he's trying to show that this is an uncorrupted line that comes right from the word that was in heaven in the beginning all the way to us because it comes to us through Christ. Uh, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So, uh, now Abraham and his seed with promises made does not say to seeds as many, but to one seed, your seed who is Christ. So Christ is the seed. What purpose then does the law serve? Forget that for a moment. It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So all this is going on just till the seed should come for whom the promise was made. So this seed is coming all the way down through the ages and its bouncing point is, is the cross down here and of course the resurrection. We've talked about that. It says in that context, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, therefore there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, all the stuff that goes on here and becomes a big issue. Uh, there's none of those, for you are all one 
in Christ Jesus. So all of us here, if you live on this side in the word, it says we become one in Christ and therefore one with Christ so that what flows in him and through him flows in and through us. Okay? We have become one with him. Uh, so, uh, and if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise, children of promise. We are heirs of a promise when we understand that we are on a seed line that comes from the word. So the fullness that was here is the fullness that is here and is the fullness that is here. It's the fullness. So let me give you one more scripture we shut up because we've, we've gone on long enough. 1 Peter 1 verse 23. This is what it says about us. Having been born again. Okay, born again from what? Born again from this seed line into this seed line. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, right? So let's put that corruptible. T bow. Is it is it I or A? Corrupt I, corruptible. Not of corruptible seed, but of in Corruptible. See, the problem, the reason I started where I started bouncing off where Chris was, is that the seed was corrupted. When the seed becomes corrupted and we are born of the corrupted seed, you can only ever get a corrupted consequence to be born of a corrupted seed. But when you're born of an incorruptible seed, because you can't corrupt it, because you're only a beneficiary of what the seed brings, you can't finish up here, you actually finish up here as a child of God, as a child of promise, living in truth, moving in the spirit under blessing and favor and life being released through you. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, listen what it says, through the word of God, which lives and abides, I'll write the word on here. Forever. That's the eternal context of this. Not some place in the sky, but a word that lives and abides forever. Born of the incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So this is never going to end. This is not a, well, this will last until... This is like, this will never end. That's why when he talked to David, he talked about a kingdom that would never end, okay? He wasn't talking about, you'll be able to go and kill all those mothers and babies and children and beasts and animals and overrun their piece of land. He was saying to David, what I'm building of the seed that I'm building will go on forever. But it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. So in all of it, this is where we want to be, this is where we can be, this is where we should be, because there is an incorruptible seed that has come by the word through Christ, and it's, been, it's incorruptible as well. If you learn to rightly divide the word, you can break out legend and myth and agenda to leave untouched what is the pure, unadulterated word that brings life to all humanity, and it's the word that comes to us today and what changes our lives. So I think we've said enough on that.
So, I think we've got a couple of weeks off now, haven't we, for the... Yeah. And then uh, we thought at some point um, in probably be about three weeks' time, is it? Yeah. We thought we'd maybe just have some fellowship around the tables in the back and um, just give opportunity to... Uh, Share some of the things that you think you've learned, some of the things that have impressed you, some of the things that you've thought about, made you think. And, uh, you know, just, just bless one another with some kind of feedback and feeding in uh, to each other. So I hope that's been, been reasonably helpful in talking to us about the seed. Because again, when I think back, you know, we talked about, about the gospel and we had the two sides. Remember we did two sides of the line it's the same principle again. You, you can overlay all the truth in Scripture. will all overlay and give you the same model. It will give you the same pattern. And so this is where we want to live in that incorruptible seed. So, so live in the Spirit, live in blessing, live in favor. And uh, I pray that life will flow through every part of our existence. And we're done. All right. Lovely. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.